If today's readings made you squirm, then that's good. Sometimes we don't get feel-good readings, and this is one of them. We get readings that should challenge us, should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. For our God is a generous and merciful and loving God, and we are not very good at receiving His generosity. He expects much from us, for to whom much is given, much is expected. The parable from this gospel rests on a rather strange thing that I would like to reflect upon today. All these events that happened in this parable happened because the owner of the vineyard went away on a journey. Or in a different translation, he went away to a different country. Does that make sense? This is a very trusting landowner. The closest comparison I can make is if you consider the time in your life when you were younger and your parents went away for the weekend. What kind of house did they come back to? This parable, of course, is much, much deeper because it's all about salvation history. The tenants mistreat the servants and some they kill. The Israelites listening to this understood that Jesus was referring to the prophets. And then Jesus does something strange. He inserts his own impending death into the parable. The landowner, the landowner sends his son, whom the tenants seize. They throw him out of the vineyard, that is Jerusalem, and kill him. And Jesus indeed will be killed directly outside the walls of Jerusalem. Shouldn't the landowner have come himself? If he really cared for the vineyard, why didn't he come himself? Well, you know the answer to this, that the father comes in the person of his son, who is indeed killed but rises from the dead. But this parable still brings up a very nagging, difficult point, that there are times in our life that God just simply seems to leave us alone. He establishes his vineyard and he leaves. How do we react when that happens? It reminds me of the time when the Israelites were brought to the base of Mount Sinai. After God had done so much for them, he parted the Red Sea and he led them through the desert with a pillar of fire by night and the cloud of his presence by day. And when they come to Mount Sinai, they have this incredible manifestation of God who speaks to Moses, and all they could hear is thunder. This incredible manifestation frightens them. And Moses ascends the mountain alone to speak with God for 40 days. So what do the Israelites end up doing? They think God has abandoned them. Maybe that there wasn't even a God to begin with. So they smelt down their gold and make a golden calf to worship. In our day, how many times I've heard from people, especially our young people, that they are not sure that God really exists. What if everything in the Bible is just made up? 
Why should we believe in all of this? Maybe there's no God, because when I pray, I really don't hear Him. All this devotion stuff and private revelation, what if it's just our imagination and our emotions getting carried away? In theology, there is a tension between the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. There are times we speak about God being so far away and above us that divinity and humanity couldn't be more opposite versus a God who is here among us, present among us. For where two or three are gathered in his name, he is present. Now I understand that this is a both and But let's face it, God doesn't really make it easy to believe in him. He is here in the Eucharist, I get that. But I see nothing but a nice round cardboard-looking thing. And I feel nothing most of the time. I mean, the consecration is one of the most incredible events in all of humanity. God coming to us under the appearance of bread and wine. Shouldn't there be a laser light show or something? I can hear the response. Well, you've just got to have faith. You've got to believe. Wait, throw me a bone here. Give me something to hold on to. This is what the modern man says. This is what the youth of today are saying. Why has God done this in this way? Why does he seem to leave us when things get really difficult? The prophet Isaiah says, Truly you are a hidden God. How very true. We pray, we seek God, we practice our devotional life, we go to Mass and confession, and sometimes God just seems very far away. So what's going to be our response? There is a psalm that expresses one possible response. Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds, there is none that does good. By leaving, the landowner has revealed the hearts of the tenants. They must either rise to the occasion and prove worthy of the landowner's trust, or reveal their wicked hearts and make a mess of things. In this case, they dared to do in the master's absence what they would never dare to do in his presence. St. Paul's letter to the Philippians encourages us to have a different response. Have we followed what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is gracious? Have we pursued excellence in our lives and lifted up the things that are praiseworthy? St. Paul's words, taken with today's gospel, should cause us to stop in our tracks and examine ourselves carefully. Do I seek God in his absence? Or do I let sin distract me from really listening to him in his small whispering voice? Sometimes our sin keeps us from realizing that the Master really hasn't left us, that He is instead really, truly hidden. 
When we are disillusioned and we turn towards sinful things, we begin to lose sight of him. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. If you want to see God, practice purity of heart more and more. It would be so much easier if God were truly present among us in his divinity, so much so that our senses could perceive something of him, even just a little bit, and we would believe. But truly, you are a hidden God. But even a glimpse of him would shackle our free will, and we would not have the pleasure to choose him over the base desires of the world. For by choosing him when things are difficult, we give glory to him who has made us with the capacity to rise above our sinful tendencies. This is the main point, that when things are difficult, when we think that God is so far away, and then we choose him, we give glory to him. We give glory to him who created us that we can rise above our sinful tendencies. In the real story, the landowner comes under the guise of the incarnate Son, who is indeed killed, but rises on the third day. It is as if God bends over backwards to help fallen humanity. For if we reject this gift of God in the resurrection, we've run out of chances, not through, through any fault of the Lord's, because the fault will be ours, and our eternal fate will be sealed. And there will be no one to blame but ourselves. That would be the greatest tragedy. Knowing that there's so much more we could rise to, but we choose not to. Let our readings today lead us to a deeper examination of conscience so that we can become better followers of Jesus.